This is Tailgate Ted. I'm Ari Mara from PFF. Hey guys, it's Brittany Wagner from Last Chance U. This is uh, Ken Harvey. I'm NFL Josh Prospect. Kwame Lewis. I'm Renee Washington. Kendall Fuller. And I'm Fred <laughs> This is Logan Thomas. I'm Jonathan Allen. I'm London Fletcher, the captain. I'm Julie Donaldson, and you are watching. And you're watching? And you are watching. Rapid District. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Ref the Districts After the Whistle, where we go beyond sports. I'm Nathan, that's the stoner, and that's Trev. And we are really excited about today's guest. It is, in fact, the legend himself, the funny man, the sportscaster, Kenny Main. And we're really happy to have him on. And, and Trev, what makes you so excited to have Kenny on today? Oh man, I'm a huge Sports Center fan. It stays on my TV. Nothing else ESPN does. Uh, and growing up, watching him on Sports Center, he's one of the ESPN goats. So I'm pretty, pretty stoked to be talking to him today. So that's why I'm excited. Yeah, you know, and so you weren't as young as Trev is growing up with <laughs> with uh, with uh, Mr. Maine. But what why what makes you so excited? You know, you know what's funny about it is that he came in kind of during a time where it was Sports Center itself and just sports broadcasting was kind of blowing up at that time mm -hmm. and that's what i watched every single night and most people did six mm -hmm. o'clock eleven o'clock you watch sports center <laughs> because that was the greatest show and kenny was on there all the time and yep. so super super excited to be able to talk to him about that and of course all his uh his new projects he's got going on Absolutely. My, I, I'm right there with you guys. Grew up with him. Uh, just loved his delivery, his humor, uh, the way that he that he just broadcasts in general. It's super exciting to have him on. This is, in fact, the Odyssey original podcast. Hey, Maine, the Kenny Maine Talks to Famous People podcast. You might know him as a former ESPN anchor. It is the legendary Kenny Maine, welcome to the show uh, here with us, Ref the District. We appreciate you coming on here with you. We're going to make you the big screen because you are our guest. No one needs to see Stoner's face there. Thank you, Mr. Maine, for joining us here on After the Whistle here on Ref the District. You know, I brought up your podcast. What made you go into the podcast game? You've had some pretty, you know, good names there that, uh, uh, you know, start off. You've only a, a few episodes in, but you've already had Chris Berman, Jamal Crawford, Christopher Guest. What is it like for you running this podcast game? It gives me something to do on a Tuesday, really. If you want to be honest <laughs> about it. Um, after I left ESPN about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and spent last summer just not quite sure what was going to be next. Just, you know, had a few different options right away and did a commercial or two, um, did the Olympics for Peacock. So some of those things kind of lined up the moment I said I was leaving ESPN. I got a call from NBC, had a commercial thing halfway done. I got called by EA Sports, did a Madden commercial. And so I looked at it like, all right, summer's paid for. Uh, let's worry about <laughs> September. Because I really, you know, I went from whatever I was making to zero, you know, in one day. Um, and while I sort of thought about it, podcasting was one option, but I ended up lining up a deal with Caesars. So I do a lot of videos for them. I just was at Del Mar for the opener. Uh, shot with the Mannings and JB Smoove a few weeks ago in New Orleans. So, like, That's periodically cool. I go either to an event 
or maybe a commercial shoot or, you know, just some, some reason to go to Vegas opening of March madness or the draft or, you know, a big event and go there and kind of create the stuff that I do. They use it how they use it. And that's pretty consistent. The podcast was an addition and totally separate from that different company. Hmm. Um, but I'm glad I made the choice. It's been really fun. Like literally just the doing of it is fun, you know, like, Mm-hmm. Talking to these people, very interesting folks. A lot of them I knew. Jamal's a good friend. Some of the others I'm pretty close to. Others I knew a little and then got to know more by virtue of doing this. Yeah. And you talk about Jamal, who's a Seattle area basketball legend. You grew up in the in Washington. And, and a lot of people don't know this, but we know this because we're big Kenny Main fans. But you were a, a Juco All-American quarterback uh in college and then played at two you know played two years at unlv so was there a moment while you were at unlv where you said okay maybe i'm a little bit more of a broadcaster than i am a quarterback for my career i mean i tried to play on from there i signed with seattle but i failed the physical for my ankle Mm. and we by the way have a vet a veterans foundation called run freely we're giving these devices to veterans who need them like I do. I got kind of a ruined ankle from a play that happened in my junior year. Uh, but yeah, I was no big star. I was second string. A kid named Sam King was ahead of me. He led the nation of passing yards. Randall Cunningham was behind us. He was a brand new freshman. Wow. You could, you could tell he was going to be what yeah, he turned he, out to be. But yeah. as a freshman, you know, I mean, we knew the offense. Sam was the starter, and it was what it was. But um, I didn't even want to do sports, to tell you the truth. I was studying broadcasting and political science and wanted to be like working for frontline by now or you know doing documentaries or serious news it just so happened that when i got to the seattle station it took a while to get on the air it was like two or three years of kind of background work and then producing and writing and then somebody named alice blanchard quit and they had a hiring freeze and they looked at me like all right i guess you're on now so it was (laughs) funny how i even got into it and that was to do news then our little station was so small, we only had Monday through Friday. So when they added the weekends, we always used to say, if there's news on the weekends, it's news to us. That was our motto. Um, but when they added the weekend show, the news director's like, you played football, you're doing sports. So I almost just kind of tripped into both things, both getting my first chance to get on the air in a good market. And then second was actually starting to do sports. And then within two or three years, I was approaching ESPN and kind of trying to make that be my focus. Yeah, I'm glad you, you kind of segue into my question with that. So you you turned your focus to ESPN, and I also saw, and since I'm a huge Kenny Main fan as well, you sent a, your letter was pretty much saying, hey, will you guys hire me? And you wanted them to check a box. And I think one of the boxes even said, we will hire you when ESPN 5 comes out. How did you come about like building up the courage and the bravery to – shoot your shot, as they say now, to ESPN and get going? Well, to begin with, remember uh, the Joe Montana to John Taylor Super Bowl, the 49ers beat the Bengals. That was mm-hmm. 1989, I believe, and had a good show that night. And I, it was almost just on a total lark. I was like, I should send a tape to ESPN, see what they say. Like, <laughs> all they can do is say no, right? It's not right, going right. to try it. Instead, they called back a guy named Al Jaffe. He said, send us another tape. We want to see if that was a fluke. And so I sent him another show, and then I kept kind of chasing him. Ended up going back for an interview. Not, I didn't get hired. Um, went back to the station where I was working. Some months later, I quit that job, 
sort of short notice, not exactly the smartest thing I've ever done, but I did. Uh, and now, now I don't have a TV job, but I'm still trying to get hired by ESPN. And I just paid bills. You know, I had a Honda bill to pay and insurance and all the regular stuff people have. I made garbage cans. I sold prepaid legal insurance. I sold long distance for MCI. And all oh, wow. the while I was doing those things wow. just to pay bills. Um, and again, nothing as people do in those jobs. Some people would want that. But I was just grabbing whatever job I could grab while I tried to stay alive in getting looked at for TV, which there were people who thought I was out of my mind. Like, dude, you're trying to get hired at ESPN. You were selling long distance to, you know, Acme Dog Food Company. <laughs> whatever it takes, bro. All That's that good. time that I'm speaking of here, this is like 89 through 94, I guess. ESPN was using me quite a lot they would call and say you know griffey hit two home runs go interview him before the game send it on the satellite we want to use it on baseball tonight or sometimes i did actual full-blown stories like i was the reporter and the letter you spoke of i that was pretty late in the game i was kind of getting frustrated like how long am i going to do this i kind of proven that i belong there at least i thought i did and they're still just stringing me along so mm -hmm. i sent that note as sort of a wake-up just like let's see if this shakes anything up back there. And turns out I got hired a couple months later. I can't say it was because of that letter necessarily, but it all turned out okay. Yeah, that's dope. Now you you said you you had quite a few job there, uh, jobs there in between those two jobs, and uh, I might be able to relate. So, uh, and we appreciate the support you're giving our veterans. Stoner is a retired Air Force vet. I have one year left before I'm a retired Air Force vet. Oh, well. So thank you for for that. Next year, I might be looking for those kind of those kind of jobs to kind of keep me afloat. Uh, which one was your favorite? Wow. Well, it would have to be probably the third one because I was, you know, I was legitimate. I had insurance. It was a real job. You know, there's people who make careers in sales, obviously. And this is the time people now don't even get. I mean, I guess if you still have a home phone, you must pay somebody, right? You pay the local service and somebody for long distance. But there was a time. Where that, you know, remember the commercials on TV, do you want to go to Sprint or do you want to go to AT&T or MCI and all that? So uh, I'd say that because that gave me sort of a better base to feel more comfortable about this other stuff I was trying. ESPN wasn't the only one. I did stuff for NBA Entertainment. I got mm -hmm. to meet Jeff Ament from Pearl Jam that way. He and Sean Kemp were doing a poster shoot and I ended up going and making a story about the shoot. Did stuff for TSN in Canada crime uh i'm forgetting it oh sometimes i would just invent work i always tell that to kids who feel like you know what are my options and i think people have more options today how you, you can start a website in five minutes right if you know sure. how to do it. and now you got a website and now you're broadcasting so my day there was no such thing um you had the local stations local radio and newspaper and that was it but i would sometimes sort of create work so if the seahawks had a home game i would get the black book and i would call you know all seven tv stations in whatever city are you sending a crew to seattle for the game if the answer was no i'd explain who i was what i've done i do this espn stuff and, and a few times i was able to you know create create new work and it just gave me more experience doing it it was always a thing where if you if you do one thing the next thing you do is hopefully better and the third thing's better and you know you keep trying to grow yeah so kind of piggybacking off of that uh those different types of jobs and, and meeting all different kinds of people. And especially I would think in that show that you did the, uh, the wider world of sports, right? So you've been mm -hmm. all over, you've met all kinds of people. 
Is there anybody that you met along the way that that kind of stopped the room where everybody just kind of, you know, they say like when Muhammad Ali walks in a room, the room just kind of stops and the air is sucked mm-hmm. out because of his presence. Have you have you uh, had that happen with anybody that you've met along the way in all these travels and all these different shows you've done? I'd say Stevie Wonder. I got, mm. when I, in fact, way, way back when I was first starting at that little station in Seattle, he was going on a concert tour and the first stop was Seattle. So they were going to go to the Coliseum, which is now the Climate Pledge Arena, and do a rehearsal. And I talked to my bosses, hey, let me go. Stevie Wonder's in town. So we go up there. And we weren't supposed to interview him. We're supposed to just take B-roll and get out. But one reporter ran up to the stage, starts talking to him. So all the rest of us, you know, go running up, trying to chase it. I was so nervous. My mic is just like, you know, <laughs> I'm shaking. I end up setting it on his keyboards and on his keys. And all of a sudden he's talking, but you hear like, you know, like in the middle of it. <laughs> and he just turned it down to zero and, you know, didn't have a problem. with. So years later, I worked with him like two or three more times. Years later... I told my story and said, I've always told people that we've collaborated. You know, I brought it up. <laughs> um, but I got him to say, uh, I can't be at the baseball all-star game. I have a high ankle sprain. That was his key line. And I did a real interview with him before the Detroit Super Bowl because he was the warm-up before the game. Rolling Stones played at halftime. And when he was a kid, he used to open for the Rolling Stones. So oh, wow. uh, he'd, he'd be the one, um, I'd say, of everything. That's pretty cool. So, Mr. Maine, um, can you just kind of touch on or elaborate on like the grind that you went through to be a sports center anchor? Because I know growing up, you didn't just talk about the highlights. Your puns and your your ad libs were amazing. And if you didn't really pay attention to that, some people might think like, "Oh, you're weird. He's crazy, or whatever." But like, if you listen like to what you said, you made Sports Center. So, like, can you just kind of touch on like? Did you have a lot of homework? Like, how did that process, the grind behind the scenes work to be a sports center anchor? Well, I think I was probably fortunate because when I first got hired, I was hired for ESPN2. In fact, I remember them saying, don't have any aspirations of being on SportsCenter. You're over here on the second channel. And that wow. show that we were working on kind of got killed pretty quick. And so they had to put us somewhere, right? Like, I started covering car racing, which I do nothing about, but grew to like it. Um, Stuart was doing some NBA, Pete was doing hockey, Susie went to football and X game stuff. Like we all, you know, got dispersed in different places. And then eventually you got to call like you're doing sports center next Wednesday or whatever it was. And this is a time where, you know, getting to do it once or twice a month was like a big deal. Like you were, you know, I still remember my first one, Larry Beal was the co-host, very warm, nice guy. So he made it nice and easy, you know, like. You got to kind of, and I tried to do the same for other new people as time went on, just make them feel comfortable. Don't make them feel like they're overwhelmed or you're going to hog the show or, you know, just try to be a teammate, right? Be a good teammate. Mm-hmm. And he was that for sure. But yeah, I'd say the first couple of years after you, I don't know, after you got through it and realized, oh, I can do this. Like, you know, you're still making mistakes and you got to catch up some of the names or whatever the case but once you kind of felt what the show feels like and the pattern of it and the, and the timing of it, then you started gaining more confidence and you wanted to do more like you, you know, ready for a full schedule. So by, I don't even know what, 97, somewhere in there, I'm forgetting all the years. Exactly. I was doing it with much more regularity. And remember Keith Oberman, actually he benefited me twice because he left sports night on ESPN two, went back to be with Dan Patrick on one 
Mm-hmm. Stewart then moved up to be the anchor with Susie. They needed one more guy to do the lower level job, and that was me. So they called me. I get hired from Seattle. I move out here. Started doing that in May of 94. And then, like I said, a year or so later, that show was dropped, and we all started doing other stuff. But when Keith left the next time to leave Lee VSPN, they needed somebody to line up with Dan, right? Because he could mm-hmm. do a solo show. So for like, I feel like for like six months, they just kind of rotated people. Somebody do it for three days. Somebody do it for a week or whatever. And all the while, they were kind of like seeing who fit with him, who who matched with him. And I didn't really try for it. It wasn't like I was, hey, I want to be the guy who was more, you know, just do your job well. And turned out they picked me soon after. And Dan and I did it for a couple of years together. And, you know, I've done like 40 different things, you know, when all is said and done. The, mm-hmm. You mentioned the wider world. We did Main Street, the comedy show. Um, we did the football stories. I'm forgetting half the stuff I did. Just some stuff for the magazine. Um, did a game show with Michael Davies way back when. Remember the two minute yeah. girl? Yep, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the, only, the only thing I never did with, I did it one time, and I think they saw their mistake. Uh, I filled in for Bill Pito on NHL Tonight, and we use what's called shot sheets. So I don't know if they're universally used at this point, but um, basically it's like notes that match what's on the video, right? And so you sure. can be handed a sheet, and they roll the tape one second later, first inning, so-and-so's up, so-and-so home run, they lead to nothing, right? You can kind of use those notes and look at the screen back and forth and throw in your whatever your style is or do it straight, whatever you do. They gave me a shot sheet for a hockey game, and they said it was going to be like 40 seconds long, like two or three plays, but they ran the wrong tape. They ran the four-minute tape of the same game, and I'm looking at like – so I, I was at least quick enough to say Barry Melrose, thank God, was with me. I said, Barry, you've always wanted to call a highlight by yourself. And I, and I, I walked out of the room. I like went in the hall, got water. I could hear him in my ears. <laughs> So those things That's happen, cool. but sometimes uh, the chaos was actually kind of fun. I remember about a year ago, last May of 21, we had a show where there was a no hitter and the, the last pitch of the no hitter happened at like 50, 58 or 59 almost. So we had one minute, minute and a half to totally reorganize what we were doing at the top of the show, which was not predicted to be a no hitter. Right. And those times were really fun. You're reliant on other people but you get a good relationship with the different producers you trust. They're never going to put you in a place where you're just going to crash. You know, if, if, mm. if you're doing something, they might be talking to the other person. Hey, after Kenny finishes such and such, you're going on to such and such. And I didn't even know that's happening. He's only talking to that person. So mm. there's, there's a lot of free form, but you know, you're always, you always have like underneath it, you know, like a little safety net. I kind of want to touch on my question. I just asked you too. Um, it's a little touchy one. What was your relationship working with Stuart Scott and the kind of impact he had on your career and and still today? Oh, we I, mean, I just saw his daughter uh, the other day. She's doing great. Both girls are. And, you know, we were very close. Like, he, I mean, he had a lot of dear friends. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people that say, yeah. you know, they were very close because he was very warm that way. And, I mean, we used to be, Stuart and I both had kids roughly at the same time. So, you know, there was that with the little kids playing together and, you know, just kind of like growing up that way. He's also a electric football nerd like I was. Mm-hmm. You guys might not even know what it is, but mm-hmm. for those yeah, for those who don't know out there, it's it's a aluminum board, you know, twice the size of Monopoly board, I guess you'd say, like lengthwise. 
and these little tiny plastic men are on the field. You turn the machine on, they buzz around. Uh-huh. And, and if the bases touch, that's when the tackle is made. Stuart and I would play that game while watching the NFL. We'd keep stats. We're like, I mean, we were into it. So, <laughs> but yeah, we, we basically came up at the same time. Like he was a little ahead of me. He was, you know, maybe six months, eight months earlier than I was to ESPN and just played flag football together, you know, went to movies together. Like, you know, we, we definitely hung out. And um, when he passed, I still remember, you know, exactly where I was hearing the news, but it was, it was with a lot of people. It's the same thing where you start doing different jobs and you just, you're just not around each other as much, you know, you're working Mm -hmm. different hours or different events. And, you know, it doesn't mean your relationship fell apart or anything. It's just, you're not in it like in the way that you were, where for several years we'd see each other, whether we were doing the same show together or I was doing the 11 and he was the one or vice versa. Like, you know, you just be around each other. So obviously those were good years. Mm-hmm. You brought up the, the comedy show. You, you definitely have your own brand of, of humor. Where does that come from? Like what, where do you, you know, you come up with your jokes and, and is this something that, you kind of inherited from your, your mom or dad, or is this just something you developed in your childhood? Yeah, I'd say a little of everything. Johnny Carson, you know, like timing, you know, the pauses, the whatever. And I didn't think that watching him that I was studying it, but later when you do stuff, you and I'm not comparing myself to Johnny Carson. I don't mean it that way. I mean, you know, you, you just like musicians are sort of informed by other musicians, right? Like certain yeah. people play a certain way, and somebody 20 years later, kind of picks up on oh that's a certain way i can not to copy it but to just be influenced by it right so mm-hmm. definitely him uh cartoons the bugs bunny hour oh wow uh, Bull, rocky and bullwinkle flintstones jetsons you know like <laughs> i mean because when you really like break stuff down how you know you're that's what you're asking like how did you become whatever you became um good friends mark sansever you don't know him, my dad his his friend al drake my uncle gordy you know, some of my sister's boyfriends, you're like, just kind of mix it all together and you definitely get influenced and kind of become the person you become. But I would also say, I answered this, somebody did one of those things on Twitter, describe what you do without saying what you do. One of those mm-hmm. little quotes. And for me, it's like, I gotten paid to do what used to get me sent out in the hall, right? <laughs> <laughs> like you're in class, something happens. What's the one line you can kill the room with? sometimes that would get you sent out sometimes they'd all laugh but yeah that's cool i don't think i had uh bugs bunny and the jetsons on my kenny main bingo card uh, (laughs) before we started that 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 was going to come up but or or electric football for that that takes me back that's that was a lot of fun growing up i think one of the one of the great things about people from my time when when i was watching you every night in the mid 90s are comes from the this is sports center commercials those yeah. were those are some of the best commercials they're 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 hilarious and how they how they depict uh you know uh, uh mascots being an everyday part of the espn newsroom and such. it's just hilarious but i i will say this that my wife gets annoyed with me by this i still to this day if i scream at a game a baseball game or something she says what happened i always turn to her and i say Home run. run. <laughs> she do that. She do that all the time. And she gets annoyed. She goes, 
where do you get that from? And I say, you know, there's this Kenny Mayne. He used to say that all the time. Well, what would you we, say? Were, we were we were at a dinner. Um, ESPN <laughs> threw one of those dinners like to get to know other people in the in the company, and it was a bunch of Sports Center people with a bunch of foreign language uh, broadcasters who covered soccer and baseball and whatnot. And there was a Spanish-speaking guy next to me, and I asked him. I said, "Hey, I've been saying quadrangular for home run when it's a Hispanic player." And he and I said, "How do you actually say home run in Spanish? Do I, am I close?" And he said, "You say it home run." <laughs> so ever since that day, not every time, but I'd say ninety percent of the time, if it was Latino hit the home run, you home run. <laughs> <laughs> were, were those were That's those great. commercials and as it's meant fun? with respect obviously it was yeah yeah, yeah, yeah for sure uh were those commercials as fun to make as they were for us to watch them oh yeah the funny thing about a great majority of those is you'd be in them if you were already working you didn't i mean sometimes you came in on, on an off day or whatever but more often it was like well who's in the building on thursday we have these four scripts Stuart is going to do that one. Kenny will do that one. You know, like sometimes yeah. they thought ahead and they really wanted me to do a certain one or Stuart to do a certain one or whatever. But there are many, there were many other times where I think the directors and producers of it were like, who's on staff today? So we'd be getting ready to do a show. You know, we're on at 11 o'clock or whatever the case. And at 830, you're running down the hall, you know, doing some stupid thing for 45 minutes. And we shot them quick. They, You know, I've done a bunch of commercials that take eight and 10 hours to make one you know one bit mm -hmm. like i did the black panther commercial a couple years ago and mm -hmm. that was intense i mean we went on and on and on reshot re-angle re turn the cameras around the whole thing and all we made is the one thing the sports center commercials they easily make three four and even five sometimes one day i'd say my favorite was Stuart and i at the basketball gym where the premises that were given back to the community dan patrick sets it up and then Stuart and I immediately become jerks to these little kids, stealing the ball from them. Stuart checks some kid, you know, he's like four feet tall. Um, the one with uh, Dikembe Mutombo was fun, looking at cloud shapes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yep, I remember much. that one. There were a bunch. That's now, so ESPN was a, obviously a large part of your life. You, you mentioned kind of getting the start in 1994 and just recently, you know, ending that. Was there ever really a time in the middle of all that that you thought that you would never be with ESPN? Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of times where I looked at other things that didn't work out that would have been, you know, it just seemed like time to try something different. One was quite a while ago. It was uh, Jimmy Kimmel's friend, Daniel Kellison, did a bunch of work and he was um, throwing together an idea for like a takeoff on Daily Show, right? To have that on Comedy Central and then follow it with a sports show. And we took it all the way up to their top people. And for whatever reason, they didn't do it. They did do a similar show with Norm McDonald for a bit. But mm -hmm. that was definitely something that would have been interesting to be able to still cover sports, but not be bound by, you know, all the requirements of doing it you know, professionally at ESPN where mm -hmm. you could not worry so much and just make the whole thing more fun, more jokes, less stats. Yeah. Very nice. Do you, um, did you realize this is, this is my last question, boys, by the way, but um, did you realize that when you were, I assume you guys wrote your own scripts basically for sports center along you know, uh -huh. with your producer, but you, you can tell because the style of it was your own. 
but did yeah. you realize that you were changing the game at the time because <coughs> you were going what we were used to is just watching you know a broadcast of the news getting fed the news but you guys were putting the comedy into it the ad libbing into it did you realize you were doing it or you were just doing what came naturally and it ended up changing the game yeah i think it's the latter i think you know because you never make that big a deal of yourself that i'm you know some big trailblazer or whatever we i was just part of a larger group that maybe collectively we all did alter you know how things have been done um but yeah mainly you're trying not to screw it up and then once you get comfortable then you start having fun but it's there was always a good little amount of nervousness shot sheets are coming in late they're changing stories there's some other distraction you know there's stuff that can throw you off and make the show not as good as it could have been and then there's other shows that work flawlessly that you just came out and had fun the whole time and said that's how we should be doing it every time i remember Mm -hmm. boots Grass and i you know in recent years afterward like that was bad was it like that's that's how we should do it every time whatever that thing was that night that feel the camaraderie Mm -hmm. making each other laugh like Mm-hmm. that's what it should be now obviously when there are serious things you got to be i always said the same thing i take serious things seriously and the rest less seriously right like if there's a real story a death or a crime or you know some kind of controversy and you have to lean back on your original journalism skills to write a legitimate straight story then we would you know like i think all of us have that ability and then when it wasn't, when it was just Team A playing Team B, you'd try to have fun with the highlights. So it's almost like you're doing sometimes two different things in the same show. And you mm-hmm. always, on the shows, were like, really? I get stuck with that. We'd give each other a hard time. Like, I got all the bad ones. I got mm-hmm. I got the arrest. I got this. I got, you know. So more often than not, though, I'd say 80% of the time, 90% of the time, we were out there having fun calling games. That's and awesome. I love the immediacy of the game just ended three minutes later you're on the air or it ends in the middle of the show and you got to, you know, the game just ended. Now let's go to the highlight. Here's Steph Curry, whatever. But that's kind of what kept it interesting and kept your adrenaline up. And my last question for you is, is it incredible to see how fast the people put up highlights? Like you said, like as soon as the game ends, there's already a highlight package. Did you ever get to witness any of that firsthand or were you just like, wow, like the game just ended and they're already showing highlights of what just happened literally 30 seconds ago. Like, what yeah, was that like? I mean, well, there's ways to, to expedite it. You know, they're, sometimes they're cutting ahead and they kind of have most of it ready and they're going to tack on the last few plays. Other times they literally just grab it in the control room, just roll back that last play. You know, like there's, yeah, the technology's definitely improved. You know, we used to use mm-hmm. tape machines and when we had to do edits to fix shows, if there was a mistake, we had to wait for to get cued just to the perfect place. Where now digital, if I screw up a name, during the commercial break, if the commercial's like two or three minutes long, they'll just say, say Krivo Krasov, Krivo Krasov. They, and they shove that where people oh, are. Wow. That's so they're cool. able to, not always, but pretty often they're able to clean up any any messes as we go along. Then when the show's over, this I'm talking about the last show because the other shows, they're live. They start, they finish, they go home. The last yeah. show of the night is the one where you have to do the so-called fixes to for the re-airs to make sure you don't have the wrong statistics or the wrong names or whatever the case Mm -hmm. in fact we did on the main street show might have been my favorite one it was me and van pelt allison becker and john glazer and the show was called fixes if you look up my name and the word fixes 
and it's all about me screwing up a name and it's five in the morning and Van Pelt's talking about his marriage is falling apart and you know, he never sees his wife. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, and it was very true, very true to, if you ever did the overnight show, everybody has lived through that. They, they can relate. So I have a couple more questions for you. Early on, you, you brought up the, the vet, uh, you know, charity that you have. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, I had what was called a fracture dislocation back in my junior year of college and played the next year. And then kind of every year and every decade later, it just got worse and worse and worse where I was in pretty bad way about 10 years ago, like barely wanted to get out of bed because you're like, oh, now I got to stand on this thing, you know, and went through a different brace, went through a lot of therapy, got a, found a great guy in Seattle who kind of manipulated it back to life, you know. So able to get by without the same kind of pain, but not able to do very much. Cause if I put on tennis shoes, even if I played golf or tried to shoot baskets in the yard or whatever, just doing that one time would set me back three days, right? I'd be limping wow. and have to get it back into gear. So I found this guy in gig Harbor, Washington, and he makes this device called an exosim. I got mine like November of 2018. I think it was. And Gretchen and I immediately were like, let's do something good with this. Cause in an instant it changed my life. Like I'm able to do a lot of things that I can't do. Otherwise pain-free doesn't fix anything. It just lets you take your bad ankle, shove it in this device and your bad ankle sort of like along for the ride, right? The, the, the device displaces the pressure on the bad joint. So we started this thing called run freely, R U N F R E E L Y run freely.org. And we're not like a big organization. We've, I think we've helped 35, if I counted it up right recently. Um, but every person we help immediately is in a different position than they were. Like, you know, yeah. they're people having trouble even going to the store with their wife or playing with their kid at the park or little things that most of us take for granted. So we're trying to get bigger, try to do a couple like larger ticket events to draw mm -hmm. in more notice and more money and we can help more people that way. And, um, but you know, it's the old cliche. If you help one or two people, you've done something good. So absolutely. We've, yeah, it's we've 35 people's more. lives that are improved mm -hmm. now. Thanks to you. So yeah. again, we, we appreciate that support there that you're giving people the going back to even that first question is we talked about what you're doing now. What, what does the next like five years look for Kenny Maine? What do you, what do you, what, what do you predict hmm. is going to happen here in the next five years for you? Well, after the comet hits, um, we're probably going <laughs> to head west again. I don't know. Um, who knows? I mean, it's hard to predict a weekend. Like we've been busy enough. Like there's always something coming up and it keeps things interesting. Like, like I said, I just shot Del Mar and then my daughter came out. We had a little fun. Got a little break right now. I got more podcast work this week. And then we're kind of done with the first season of the podcast. We'll restart taping again in probably September, maybe. Um, I still want to do other stuff, though. We have a couple of projects that aren't bought yet or, you know, who knows? They, they might work. They might not work. So I kind of have my hand in a couple of things that I'd love to do just to do it more than for the money. Obviously, if we get paid, that's great, too. But um, we'll see if they come out. But I'm happy doing what I'm doing now. The stuff with Caesars is really fun. They send me to good places, you know, go out to. ESPN calls you back. You taking it? Say again? ESPN calls you back. You taking it? Uh, what's the role? Uh, Sports Center for 30 shows. No, I'm good. 
I did that. <laughs> <laughs> he said, no, I mean, I'm good. I'm good. It's nothing against the, you know, it's just, I don't no. think they're calling anyway, but I think it'd be weird redoing something I already did. Yeah. Where, it le- you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I'm happy doing what I'm doing and I'm getting, mm-hmm. I got a ton of free time with my wife. We see the kids. We got two girls still in college. We, Gretchen and I each had two when we got married, so we have four. One's graduated Boulder, Colorado. One's at Boston U, senior to be. One's at USC, sophomore to be. The last nice. one's here, still in high school in Connecticut. So we're busy enough with all the stuff that we got right in front of us. Well, you got to do something to pay those to pay that tuition, though. <laughs> those are not cheap schools that you just mentioned. Yeah. No, that's why uh, I'm happy and blessed. I got that good deal out of Caesars right away, and we'll see if the podcast. You know, we've only been out less than a month. What's the date today? As we taped this, uh, I don't know what date it is. Twenty six something. Yeah, six. Yeah. Well, now that you're on this podcast, your podcast game is definitely going to go up. Even that's right. People, People are going to know. Yeah, dog. Yeah. Well, we we do appreciate you jumping on here with us. This is the legendary ESPN anchor Kenny Main joining us for an after the whistle. Whoa. Yeah, we're gonna give him another round of applause here with the, the sound button here. Yeah. Uh, we appreciate you for joining us. Uh, thank you for your time. Of course, you can catch him on his own show as he's mentioning there an Odyssey original called Hey Main, the Kenny Main Talks to Famous People podcast there on Odyssey and all those other exciting things. Definitely going to keep track of those and see where you end up next. Uh, but thank you for joining us. And until next time, what's that? Be a fan. Yeah. All right. Thanks for having me. That was fun. ESPN calls you back. You taking it? Uh, what's the role? Uh, Sports Center for thirty shows. I'm good. I did that. He's <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, It's nothing against the. You know, it's just I don't nah. think they're calling anyway. But I think it'd be weird redoing something I already did. I still, to this day, if I scream at a game, a baseball game or something, she says, what happened? I always turn to her and I say, home run. run. <laughs> all the time.
One of the great things about people from my time comes from the This Is Sports Center commercials. They're hilarious and how they depict mascots being an everyday part of the ESPN newsroom. Such as, were those commercials as fun to make as they were for us to watch them? Oh, yeah. The funny thing about a great majority of those is you'd be in them if you were already working. You didn't. I mean, sometimes you came in on, on an off day or whatever, but more often it was like, well, who's in the building on Thursday? Early on, you, you brought up the VET charity that you have. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? I had what was called a fracture dislocation back in my junior year of college. Kind of every year and every decade later, it just got worse and worse and worse, where I was in pretty bad way about 10 years ago, like barely wanted to get out of bed. So I found this guy in Gig Harbor, Washington, and he makes this device called an ExoSim. I got mine like November of 2018, I think it was. And Gretchen and I immediately were like, let's do something good with this. Because in an instant, it changed my life. So we started this thing called Run Freely, R-U-N-F-R-E-E-L-Y, runfreely.org. We're not like a big organization. We've, I think we've helped 35, if I counted it up right recently. But every person we help immediately is in a different position than they were. It's the old cliche, if you help one or two people, you've done something good. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.